0: Well, hey family, how we doing? It is so good to see you. To our family here in Rock Island, to those of you in Bettendorf, love you guys, men in Kiwani, those of you joining us online, I am so glad that you're here and that we get to continue to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords together as we engage the Word of God. So I hope you're ready. We're gonna cover a lot of scripture and it is gonna be great. But before we jump into scripture, there are certain milestones in someone's life that you just wanna celebrate and share with the people you love. You guys know what I'm talking about? Well, Jesse and I, my wife and I had one this last week in which we celebrated 10 years of marriage. (laughs) Now that is awesome. She still thinks I'm funny most of the time, and she deals with my morning breath. And so uh, I have a picture of the two of us here on our anniversary uh, last Friday, July 7th. Uh, You can see she is as beautiful as ever. In fact, it was on this beach. This is roughly the time that we got married. Uh, She agreed to another 10-year contract, and so I'm pretty thrilled with that. Um, And so some of you are like, hey, especially ladies, show us the picture of the big day. Okay, well, here's one picture of us uh, here on July 7th, 2000. and I know exactly what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, that's cute that they let middle school kids play dress-up. But that is not what happened, all right? This was our wedding day, and um, I remember just like yesterday, my bride, the doors opening, and her coming forward. And I got to tell you, I love her as much, if not more, now than I even did then. And marriage is a lot of work, but man, is it worth it. It is worth it. In fact, uh, you see here, I happen to have some hair, and I... (laughs) And I wasn't the only one in the building that was a good-looking guy with hair. Let me show you another picture here. See if you recognize this guy in the middle. If you're a guest, that is our senior pastor, Sean Cosson. And this is digital evidence that he had hair, all right? And so now I probably have made a mistake showing that to you, but I'm already digging holes, so I might as well show you one more. Check this picture out. Here he is on, the, on the, your right, and on the left, that's his bride, Beth Cosson. Now I'm really in trouble, Um, but it's a good thing that we're talking about faith this weekend because I have great faith that my physical well-being will be intact once they see this message online uh, later this week. Or I have faith in our tech team and their ability to edit that out, so either way. (laughs) We're talking about faith today, and it's a good thing we are. So I encourage you, grab your teaching outline as we get ready to engage Scripture together today. And whether you uh, engage Scripture in your Bible or if you use a device, I encourage you to grab that. Like I mentioned, we're going to jump into a lot of Scripture together today. Now, as a church family, over the summer, we've been taking time to take a look at great giants of the faith, those that we find in Hebrews chapter 11. All right? And faith in, those, in that dynamic is defined as this. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, in which it says, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And it's this. This faith is what the ancients were commended for. Now, we've already had a chance to look at four of the ancients, so the giants of faith that Hebrews 11 goes on to list. We've looked at Abel, and we've looked at Noah, and we've looked at Enoch. And last weekend, we looked at Isaac. And today, we're going to have a conversation about a guy named Jacob. Now, Jacob is somebody that I think many of us will resonate with. In fact, this week in my prayer closet, as I was preparing for this message, the more I dug into Jacob's story, there were moments where I just broke out in thanksgiving and worship for what God has done in my life. God has transformed me into a man who is on a radically different path to who I am today. And so there were moments in which I was just thankful but I also have to tell you, if I'm being fully transparent, there were moments where I was just broken, where God put finger, his finger on areas in my life where he was saying, Justin, I'm calling you to greater faithfulness. I'm calling you to greater obedience. And those moments for me were painful but yet beautiful. And it's my hope today as we look at Jacob that God will continue to speak that way to me and that he'll speak that way to us so that we can become great giants of the faith. And so today we looked at Jacob, and in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21, this is what we find out about Jacob. It said, It is by faith that Jacob, when he was old and dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff. It was by faith that Jacob, when he was old and dying, blessed Joseph and his sons, and then he bowed in worship while he leaned on his staff. And we get this picture of a man who is at the end of his life, he's, he's nearing death, he's surrounded by his family, and he is reflecting back over his life in worship. And it reminds me of a, a scene, uh, in really an impactful moment in my life as a follower of Jesus, and certainly in ministry, which about eight or nine years ago, I was a uh, student ministries and worship pastor in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And there was one day my phone rang and uh, the mother of one of my students had called me and she said, Justin, my dad is on his deathbed and he's within minutes, maybe hours of his death. And she said, it would mean a lot to my daughter and to me if you would come and visit us. And you know, I'd love for you to meet my dad. And, and, and so, of course, in our interaction, I said, absolutely, I'm there. I got my stuff together. I jumped in my car. I made my way to the hospital. All right, I, I come through the doors. I get in the elevator. And as the elevator's going up, I'm, I'm playing in my mind different scenarios. Because I don't know what I'm about to walk into. I mean, I'm certain that there's going to be sadness, that there's going to be tears, there's going to be heaviness, there's going to be sorrow, but I have no idea what state he's going to be in. What's the family going to be like? And so I'm playing scenarios through in my head and I'm, I'm kind of rehearsing how I'm going to respond. That's kind of what you do in the elevator, all right, as a pastor. And so I'm coming up, I, the doors open and I walk out into kind of the little lobby area. And then as I make my way and turn down the hallway that his room is going to be in, I hear something really bizarre. I hear singing. Now, I've never heard singing in the hospital before. And so I thought to myself, that's a little different. But I said, okay, i continued to walk. And as I made my way down the hallway, I got closer and closer to this room that the singing was coming from, and I could hear the lyrics. And they were, they, they were, they were singing a hymn. And it was a hymn about God's faithfulness and God's goodness. And, and I thought to myself, like, wow, that's really neat. And then as I got right next to the door, I looked up at the door, at the number tag on the door, and I realized that this was the room that I was going into. This was the room that this family was in. And I walked in the door, and there were family members surrounding his bed. There were groups of two or three trying to like huddle around a hymnal to to read the words. And then I looked at at Ray is his name. I looked at Ray and his bed in his 80s, within hours of his death, and he is belting out these hymns from memory. And for an hour and a half, we sung hymn after hymn after hymn hymn. And then when the hymn was done, he would start to tell stories. And and he recounted stories of God's faithfulness and how God had blessed him. And then we'd sing another hymn. And then he'd come back and he'd talk about moments and dark, hard moments of his life and how he looked and it felt like God wasn't there. But then he'd encounter Jesus amongst the midst of them. And then we'd sing another song like, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And then we'd come back and he'd start to share how God had changed his life. It was almost like he was communicating, I haven't always been a great man of God, but man, am I thankful for the grace in Jesus. And this went on for an hour and a half, maybe two hours, and finally I got to a place where I I prayed for Ray, and then I looked Ray in the eye, and I said, Ray, I can't wait to see you again. You see, that's the hope we have because of Jesus, that I'm going to see Ray again. And then I gave my hugs, I said my goodbyes, I walked out into the hallway and deep within me there was this stirring and this longing to say, at the end of my days, I hope that I am praising and worshiping my God just like Ray was that day. And it's that visual, that moment marked me. And it's that visual when I read here about Jacob surrounded by his son and his grandchildren who, by the way, are representations of God's faithfulness to him. We're going to look at Joseph next week. But as the visual I see of him with his grandchildren and his son and him bowing and, and leaning on his staff in worship that I see. You see, as we look at Jacob together today, there's one thing I really want us to see and to really understand, I want us to grasp, and it's this, that authentic faith changes us. Authentic faith changes us. You see, I have no doubt that Jacob in that moment was sincerely worshiping and praising his God. But can I tell you something? Jacob wasn't always a great man of faith. He wasn't always a great man of integrity. In fact, for 97 years, two-thirds of Jacob's life, he did life his own way. He wasn't a great man of faith. He wasn't a great man of integrity. And in fact, there's one moment in his life, and I think at this last moment of his life and, and throughout those last 50 years of his life that he looked back on. And it was the moment that he encountered God, where he wrestled with God, and his life, his identity, and the course of his life was forever changed. And we find that in Genesis chapter 32, where we read this It says, That night Jacob got up and took his two wives. I'll let Pastor Sean handle that in another week. All right. And his two female servants and eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions, so Jacob was left alone. He had sent everything that he had, all the people that he loved, and he was utterly alone. And not only was he alone, Jacob was scared to death. He was scared because, as we'll we'll talk about here in a little bit, he was—the next morning was going to meet his brother Esau, and Esau was the brother that he had duped out of his blessing, he had duped out of his birthright, and he was convinced that when he saw Esau that his brother was going to kill him. And so here he is, all alone, by himself, gripped with fear, and then the Scripture says, and a man— wrestled with him until daybreak. A man that many, you look at scripture and later on says is is an angel of God, or it's God himself. And so he wrestles with this man until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now let me pause there for a minute. Because this moment and what's about to take place is going to radically change Jacob it's going to change his identity it's going to change the trajectory of Jacob's life but also Jacob's lineage his family line but it's fitting to me that Jacob's interaction with God in which his life is transformed happens in the context of a wrestling match because all Jacob, his entire life, did nothing but wrestle and struggle and claw and try to get ahead. In fact, the first time we see Jacob in Scripture, he's struggling, he's wrestling, and he's not even out of the womb yet. In fact, check this out, Genesis chapter 25, we read about it here, verse 21 it starts. It says, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife. Time out. If you are married, I hope you're praying for your spouse. And if you're not married and you're saying, I want to be married, don't wait till you get married to pray for him. Pray for him today, all right? So Isaac is praying to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. And the Lord answered his prayer. And his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. And you better believe there was great jubilee, right? And they find out she was pregnant after years of infertility. I can imagine the celebration and the worship that took place in that moment. But then the babies jostled. They wrestled within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. So she finds out she's pregnant. She is stoked. She's pumped. And then the babies begin to wrestle within her. And so she says, I'm going to go to God. I got to figure out what's going on here. So she goes to the Lord and the Lord tells her, listen, you have two nations within you. And they are wrestling and they are fighting. And indeed, they will fight and wrestle the rest of their lives. But she said, and God said, don't worry. They're both going to be strong. They're both going to be blessed. But know that the older son will serve the younger one. And so then that scripture continues on. He says, when it came time for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb, just like God said. The first came out, The come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. Any hairy men in the room? All right? Hairy women. I know we got some hairy men in Bettendorf. All right? Those of you who have hair in places that you didn't know you had places, this is your guy. All right? His whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. And after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. But he came out, and his name was Jacob. Jacob. He was grasping onto the heel of Esau. It was almost as if even within the womb, even with, before Jacob was even born, that he had this innate knowledge that he, if he could just get out five seconds, ten seconds quicker than this other thing that's in there with him, that he would be blessed, that there'd be special uh, privilege and blessing in that. It's almost like Jacob knew in the womb that if I could just get out before Esau, then there is a special birthright. A birthright which means I would be the authority figure in our family, in our generation it's as if he knew if i can just get out before him then i get a double portion of the inheritance and not only do i get that i get a special blessing and from the moment in the womb we see jacob wrestling and fighting and even to the moment which he's born grasping the heel of his brother you see jacob means grasper of the heel or heel grabber supplanter in his whole life, starting right here in the womb, we'd see Jacob do that. Scripture continues to give us a little bit of a glimpse of Jacob and Esau. And it says, The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country. This was like your outdoorsman, all right? This is the rugged dude. This is like that bad man, all right? He is the—this is the little boy that's eating bugs and worms and rolling around in the dirt, right? He just—that's he, just who Esau was. And he was a guy that when you looked at him, you're like— I'm not messing with that guy because not only is he hairy, but he looks crazy, all right? That's what Esau was. But Jacob, it goes on to say, he was content to stay at home among the tents. Jacob was a homebody and there's nothing wrong with that. He was probably more shy. He was a little more introverted and everything that I just said about Esau, Jacob wanted no part of that. In fact, Jacob loved that Esau was a hunter because Esau would bring the food home and Jacob would cook it. Like that's just what Jacob preferred. And the scripture goes on in verse 28 to say, Isaac, who, Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now let me pause here for a moment on verse 28 and just comment to parents. Parents, the favoritism and this kind of loving one child more than another that we see here with Isaac and Rebekah, that never works. It almost always results in your children inquiring great woundedness and hurt. And listen, I understand that your children are different. I mean, if I had Maddox up here, my highly introverted son, and my daughter, Ava, who's about a year and a half younger, two and a half years younger, she's like the extrovert like me that'll talk to the wall if she can hear her echo, right? My kids are very, very different, And the way that I express love to them is very different. But parents, we have to be pursuing each of our children and seeking to love them how they experience love and asking God, I ask God consistently, God, give me the keys to the hearts of my kids. And so parents, pursue your kids. Now, I don't see this directly engaged in Scripture, but as I look at our culture today, I believe that Jacob experienced incredible woundedness and hurt. Because of his awareness that Isaac, his dad Loved his brother more than him And I think it's that hurt and that woundedness That almost exacerbated that drive And that desire within Jacob To get whatever he want regardless of what it took And in fact, as you look at the end of uh, Genesis chapter 25 We see Jacob's first successful strategic conquest To like con his brother out of his birthright right? What he does is he ends up talking Esau Into selling him his birthright For basically a cup of soup all right. Esau is out and about hunting. It could have been for a day or multiple days. Hadn't eaten any food. Jacob's at home doing his home thing, and he's cooking, and he's making some stew. And Esau comes home, and the scripture says he's famished. He's hungry. He's dying. I mean, we're starving. We've all maybe thought we were there. All right? So Esau like plops down in the chair, and, and he goes, oh. He looks at Jacob, and he says, hey, bro, I need some soup. I'm dying here. And Jacob, being the cunning, strategic guy that he is, says, hey, I'll give you some of my stew, but you need to sell me your birthright first. And the craziest thing happens when Esau agrees to sell his birthright to Jacob for lentil stew. I mean, it's not even good soup that he got out of the deal, right? And it's crazy. And if we were looking at Esau today, I'd remind you of a principle Pastor Sean has unpacked before. He says, don't sacrifice what you want most for what you want now. Esau wanted to be the firstborn. He wanted that blessing, but in that moment, he was so hungry, he sold it. He sacrificed it for what he wanted in that moment. But we're not talking about Esau. We're talking about Jacob. So fast forward 60 years. Jacob's now already secured the birthright in, in this selling and exchange of, uh, with Esau. And now he's got his eyes fixed on deceiving and stealing Esau's blessing. And we see this in Genesis chapter 27. Check this out. It says, when Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, Isaac is old and he is blind. He called for Esau, his older son, and he said to him, my son, here I am, Esau answered. And Isaac said, I am now an old man and I don't know the day of my death. I know I'm old. I don't know when my life is going to end and so I want to bless you. And he goes on to say, now then, get your equipment, your quiver and your bow and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now, Rebecca, this is mom. Remember, Rebecca loves Jacob. Now, Rebecca was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. And what happens is Esau then leaves. He begins to go out and do what his father has asked. But Rebecca, having overheard this conversation, quickly summons Jacob. She says, come here, hurry, hurry. And he told Jacob what she had just heard and what she had just observed, and Jacob and Rebekah concoct this plan, this great plan of deceitfulness, in which she says, listen Jacob, go get a couple goats, all right, go get them, bring them to me, I'll fix a meal that your dad's going to love. And then she says, listen, we're going to take those goat skins and we're going to put them on your body because... He's going to know that you're not Esau if he touches you and you're smooth. And so they put this plan together where they take the goat skins and they put it in strategic spots because they know Isaac. They put it on his hands and maybe on his arms and on the smooth of his neck, smooth part of his neck back here. And and they concoct this entire plan. And then scripture goes on to say this. So he, Jacob, went and got them and brought them to his mother. And she prepared some of the tasty food just the way his father liked it. And then look at what happens. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son. It even included clothes just in case he smelled those clothes, that he would know that it was Esau, which she had in the house. And she put them on her younger son, Jacob. And she also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with those goat skins. And then she handed to her son Jacob the tasty food and the bread that she had made. And so now Jacob has this food in his hands. He has stuff on his arms and he has a decision to make. Will I go through with this? Will I deceive my dad? Will I seek to steal and deceive my brother's blessing? And this is what he does. He went to his father. He went to his father and he says, My father... "'Yes, my son,' Isaac said. "'Who is it? Who is it?' "'Jacob said to his father, "'I am who?' "'I'm Esau, your firstborn. "'I have done to you as you told me. "'Please sit up and eat some of my game "'so that you may give me your blessing.' "'And Isaac asked his son, "'How did you find it so quickly, my son?' The Lord your God gave me success, Jacob said, he even gave God credit for his lie. And then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. The plan is working. So he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau? He asked, I am, Isaac replied. And then he said, my son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. And so Jacob brought it to him and he ate it and he brought some wine and he drank. And then his father Isaac said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. You like get this sense that Isaac isn't sure. It's like, just come to me and kiss me. And so he, Jacob, went to him and kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him. This is mind-boggling to me. It's heartbreaking, really, that Jacob, so desperate to get what he wanted, that he would stoop to the very level of deceiving his dad. And not just deceiving his dad, lying and giving God the credit for it. I mean, it's mind-boggling to me. And I can't help but wonder what was going through Jacob's mind when when Isaac reached out his hand and placed it on Jacob's head and was praying blessing over him. And I give Jacob the benefit of the doubt here that maybe as Isaac was praying a blessing over him that he began to feel a sense of guilt and maybe a sense of shame. I'm giving giving Jacob some, some credit here. But either way, at the end of that, Jacob walks out of the room having successfully stolen and deceived his way into Esau's blessing. But I don't think Jacob fully calculated what this blessing would cost him. You see, because not only is Jacob now experiencing guilt and shame, I'm giving him credit, his big brother, the hairy beast of a man Esau, came home. (laughs) And Esau had got the game, and he had came, and he had killed it, and he prepared it, and he brought it into Isaac, and finds out what Jacob had done. And Esau is... He is crazy mad. It's b- he is insanely mad. So mad, in fact, that he says, I'm going to kill Jacob. And in that moment, Jacob not only is now full of shame and guilt, he is deathly afraid. So afraid, in fact, that he ends up bolting. He ends up fleeing. And what we see in Jacob is a really important truth to understand. And it's that pretending leads to anxiety. Pretending leads to anxiety. You see, Jacob is deathly afraid, so afraid that he ends up fleeing for 21 years. 21 years he's on the run. And yes, he goes to a far-off land. He goes to his uncle's house, and, and, he, and he meets some women there, and he gets married, and he has children, and he acquires some wealth. But I can't help but wonder if for 21 years, Jacob, every morning when he woke up, if he didn't ask the question, is today the day? Is today the day that my brother comes for me? Is today the day that I die? And I can't help but wonder if every day when he'd go out to shepherd the sheep, if there wasn't a little rustling in the bushes, if Jacob didn't turn around really quickly, or if there was a group of men coming, if Jacob didn't kind of jump behind one of his sheep and go, is that him? Is that him? Because pretending leads to anxiety. Now we experience that, or maybe you have, or somebody around you has experienced this. Some of you in the room are teenagers or have been teenagers, and at some point, you told your parents you were going to stay at someone's house when you really were going to do something else. And there was a little part of you that was like, man, I hope I don't get caught. Right? There's a little bit of fear, a little bit of anxiety there. Some of you are maybe in the workplace know of someone who, who kind of pretended to be a model employee that was going above and beyond and checking all the boxes when really behind the scenes, they were cutting every corner they could or maybe even taking a little bit extra for themselves. And they lived in that fear of trying to cover their tracks to make sure that they wouldn't get caught because there was a fear if they got caught they'd lose their job and for what that would mean. Some of you know someone who was a husband or a wife and they had maybe a secret addiction or a, a secret relationship they were trying to hide from their spouse and they'd go out of their way every day to cover their tracks, to delete the history on the phone or on the computer or in their text messages because they didn't want their spouse to catch them. In fact, in Michigan, for five years, I worked with a lot of men and women who were coming out of prison. And I, and I worked with them in the job context, and we did a lot of training and skills training. And, and I had a group of men over the course of those five years that I interacted with, many of them coming out of prison uh, due to drug-related charges, especially like drug trafficking, selling dope, that kind of thing. And, and these were some of the most brilliant, intelligent businessmen I've ever met. And I'd sit with these men, and we might be in a truck, or we might be at a table having coffee together, or in a classroom context where I was teaching. And, and they would ask me the same question, the same group of men, happened multiple times over five years. And they'd ask me the question, they'd say, Justin, I've made tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars a year doing what I was doing. Why should I come back and now find a job for nine, 10, 11, $15 an hour? And I thought that was a really good question. And so then I'd look at them, and of course, these were men who at some point had walked into a relationship with Jesus, and we celebrated that, so I could talk to them about being faithful and being obedient. But what I did is I asked them a question. I said, let me ask you, how did it feel to have to live your life everywhere you're going, looking over your shoulder, making sure nobody's looking, making sure nobody's following you? I said, how did it feel to have to make sure that you had your back covered everywhere you went? I asked, how did it feel when you sat with your child and you had to wonder, is this the last time I'm gonna see you because I might get busted and get locked up or the guy that I sell to next time might pull out a gun and shoot me? I said, how did that feel? And I said, in what price would you put on that? And I'd watch these men, these grown men, tough men, brilliant men, I'd watch their countenance change and they'd look at me and they'd say, You're right. So I pretended that it didn't bug me, but I gotta tell you, I lived in fear that I'd get caught every single day. Even as a pastor, I have this reputation of being passionate, a passionate follower of Jesus, like tenaciously chasing after Jesus. But can I tell you, there are moments in my life where if you look deep within me, beyond the facade that I felt like I had to put on, I was bone dry. And there where the enemy was tempting me, and I was wrestling with sin, and I had this genuine fear that if somebody found out, that if you found out, that it would all be over for me. Because pretending leads to anxiety. In fact, look at what Jesus said about this. In Mark chapter 8, I'm going to read a couple verses. I really want to get to verse 36 where we're going to dwell, but I want to give you some context here. This is what he says. This is Jesus speaking. Then he called to the crowd to him, and with his disciples said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. That is some. Scripture right there, and we don't have time to get into that. But I want you to see is verse 36, in which Jesus says, what good is it for somebody to gain the whole world? What good is it for Jacob to receive the blessing by deceiving his dad and his brother? What good is it for you and I to live pretending in areas of our life, pretending to be something that we're not, to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? yet forfeit, some translations, their self. They live in anxiety and fear. Can I tell you today, that is not how God wants us to live. That was not God's desire for Jacob. That's not God's desire for us. God's desire for us is that we can chase after Him, that we can courageously live our lives, to walk into everything that He's created us for, to not have to look over our shoulder and to go, "When well, am I going to get caught, not have to cover our bases and de- delete history on phone, or to not to pretend He's saying, "I want you to courageously and boldly chase after me and become the person I've desired you to be all along." And that's what the church is for. You see, that's what heritage is for. As we desire to create a space where you can come and belong, where it's okay to not be okay, where it's okay to wrestle with God and have areas of your life where you are asking him to change you and transform you, where you're saying, God, I believe authentic faith changes me. And I'm asking you to change this area of our life. And that's what the church is for, is to create space for us to wrestle with him and to be transformed. And that's what happens in the life of Jacob. You see, for 21 years, Jacob was on the run. For 21 years, he lived in fear and anxiety. For 21 years, he kept looking over his shoulder. And finally, Jacob got to a point where he said, enough is enough. I can't do it anymore, I'm done. And he packs up his family, he gets his possessions and he says, you know what, I'm going home. And he makes his way there and this is the moment that we started the message in Genesis chapter 32 where he sends all of his family, all of his possessions, everything that he has and he finds himself alone. And yes, he's deathly afraid that Esau is going to take him out the next day. But he wrestles with God. And what's interesting is Jacob, the old Jacob, would have run. At the first sight of wrestling, he would have run, but this is a different Jacob. Check it out. Chapter 32 again, he says this, When the man saw that he could not overpower him, we've read this, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go. Even though I'm in pain, I'm not letting you go. I'm tired of pretending. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of of trying to claw and wrestle and grab and get ahead. I will not let you go. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. He says, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. Jacob recognized that God was the one, the one he was wrestling with, was the very one that he could hold on to that could bless him. He says, I'm not letting you go, God. I'm not letting you go until you bless me. You're the one that can change me. You're the one that can change the trajectory of my life. You're the one that can help me not live in fear and anxiety. And I'm not letting you go. It's a powerful moment. Jacob is different. Jacob is determined. That same willpower, that same kind of, that that grit that Jacob had to go and to deceive and to continue to press on in in the wrong ways, God is now using in a good way. And he says, I'm not letting you go. And then the scripture continues. Kind of an awkward moment. Says the man asked him, what is your name? What is your name? I mean, this seems really bizarre, doesn't it? I mean, they've been wrestling all night long. You think they would have at least exchanged pleasancies and names, right? And he says, what is your name? And it sounds really weird. But this man asking, what is your name? Sounds a lot like 21 years before when there was another man that asked him, who is it? His dad, Isaac. The man asked him, what is your name? Isaac asked him, who is it? Different words, same question. 21 years before when Isaac, his dad asked him, who is it? What did he say? He said, I am Esau. He said, I'm going to pretend. I'm going to deceive you. I'm going to do whatever I can to get your blessing. But on this day, 21 years later, at the age of 97, this man looks at Jacob and he says, what is your name? And Jacob responds, Jacob, Jacob, my name's Jacob. The deceiver, the backstabber, the one who's, who's swindled and people out of their stuff, the one who's made great mistakes, the one who is broken and messed up, that's me. I'm Jacob, I'm Jacob. He was done running. He was done hiding. He says, I'm Jacob. And then in verse 28, the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and you have overcome. You see in the moment in verse 28, when Jacob is finally ready to admit his name, he's finally ready to stop running, God changes his name just like that. And he says, no longer are you a deceiver, no longer are you a backstabber, no longer are you one who is grasping at heels that is clawing and trying to claw over and climb over people. No longer are you that. You are Israel. You are one who has wrestled with God and has been victorious. You are a new person, a new creation. You the whole trajectory of your life is changed. It's a powerful, powerful moment. And in fact, the author of Genesis wants to make sure that we get and understand what just happened. Whereas in verse 31, he says this, the sun rose above him after this wrestling moment. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel and he was limping because of his hip. The author of Genesis wanted to make sure that we understood a new day had come. A new season had begun. Jacob slash Israel was a new man it's almost like he was saying jacob was finally becoming who he was meant to be all along and that's not just true of jacob in a moment of faith that he was free to become who he was meant to be that's that's true of us because faith frees us to become who we were meant to be faith frees us to become who we were meant to be you see jacob do you remember when rebecca had that wrestling within her and she went to inquire of the Lord, it was already there that God told Rebecca that your your older son is going to serve your younger son. In other words, the promise that had come to Abraham that was passed on to Isaac, that same promise is going to come to your younger son, Jacob. And Jacob had spent 97 years trying to accomplish that and make that happen on his own. But in an instant, in a moment of faith, he was finally free to become who God had intended him to be all along. The apostle Peter, some of you remember Peter. This is the one that on the day Jesus died, denied him three times. He was afraid of the servant at the fire warming their hands. And in a moment, he goes from a man of fear and by faith steps into this great, bold, and courageous apostle, the one in which Jesus said, I will build my church on. He gets up on the day of Pentecost and by faith preaches his guts out. 3,000 people come to know the Lord. And by faith, Peter became who he was meant to be. Saul. Saul. Some of us remember Saul. This was a guy who who sought out and hunted and killed Christians. And after an interaction with Jesus, his life is transformed. And through faith, he becomes Paul, the greatest missionary church planner to ever walk the earth. By faith, Paul became who he is meant to be. And I love what John says about this, because this really impacts us and speaks to us. John chapter 1 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God of God. By faith we can become who we're meant to be children of God, not of natural descent nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. By faith we can become who we were meant to be all along. Now the rest of Jacob's life is is different. You read the rest of scripture, you, you, you see that after his interaction, his name is changed. The next chapter, he ends up for the first time ever declaring that the, the Lord is his God. You see, before that, God had tried to appear to him. And there are moments where Jacob would say, ah, that's my, the God of my father. That's the God of Abraham. That's the God of Isaac. But he never declared that he was his God until after that wrestling match. And he goes on to to tell all of his family members and his descendants that, hey, you need to bring all of your idols and we're getting rid of that stuff. We're cleansing that because a new day has come. I am one who is wrestling with God and I have overcome and that's what we're gonna be about. And his life is completely different because authentic faith changes us. It changes us. And we don't have to walk in anxiety any longer. We don't have to pretend any longer because by faith we'll be free. To become who we were meant to be. So what, you might ask. What does that mean? So what? And let me just ask this question as we close together today. And this is the question What do you need God to use your faith to change today? What do you need God to use your faith to change today? Maybe you're in a place where you're like Jacob and you've been doing life your own way and you're and you're just tired of being tired. You're tired of being afraid. You're sick and tired of being sick and tired. And today's the day like Jacob where you need to just say, God, I'm gonna wrestle with you and today's the day where I am gonna place my faith in you and surrender to you as Lord and to sa- as Savior. I want you to change my name. I want you to change the trajectory of my life and today can be the day and maybe that's your decision where you turn over your teaching guide. There's three sample steps, uh, sample prayer. It's not the, the prayer, the words of the prayer that transform you. It's the heart behind it, and maybe that's what you need to do. For some of us in the room, maybe you have placed your faith in Jesus, and you have surrendered to him, and you'd identify with him as Lord and as Savior, but there's areas in your life where you've been hiding. You've been areas where you've been pretending to be faithful, where you've been pretending to be one thing, but you're not that at all. Can I tell you something? It's not really a secret. God knows that area of your life, and I want you to know it breaks his heart. But the good news is, is that faith changes us. And maybe in this next few moments, your next step is to say, God, I admit it, I'm letting you in, and I'm asking you to come in right now into this area of my life, and I'm asking you to change me. And if that's you, I encourage you to take this moment to do that. And there may be something else that the Holy Spirit stirs within you, but in the next few moments, I'm gonna open us in prayer, and I'm gonna leave us at all of our campuses in a space of just individually praying and seeking the face of God. And whatever that step is that you need today to take today take it. And I'm going to encourage you, whatever posture of prayer you need to find yourself in, do it. If you need to kneel at your seat, if you need to, to stand up, if you need to make your way to the front of a stage or an altar or a room and use this as an altar, sometimes there's something linked about physically moving on something that God has stirred within you. And if that's you today, I encourage you, after I pray and I leave the time for you to reflect and to pray, move out of your seat and do it. God will meet you there because authentic faith changes you. And so let this be a moment where you seek after his face and you say, God, I know you won't relent until you have all of me, so I'm giving it to you right now. Before I pray, there's one scripture I want to read. You see, after Jacob wrestles with God and after he gets a new name, Jacob, Israel, turns around and says, what's your name? And this man, this angel of God, won't answer him. In fact, he doesn't answer for the rest of Genesis. And then we get into Exodus chapter 3, and God appears to a man named Moses, who's a descendant of Israel, an Israelite, a descendant of Jacob. And this is what happens when God speaks to him through a burning bush. Exodus chapter 3, he says, Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, God said, I am the God of your fathers. I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. And I am the God of time out. I expect him to say Israel. I'm the God of the new Jacob. I'm the God of the one who is faithful. I'm the God of the one who is obedient. I'm the God of the one who is victorious. But that's not what he says. He says, I am the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And I got to tell you, I find great encouragement in that because I don't know about you, but I've had some failures in my life. I've had some times that I've messed up. I've had some things that I've done that I'm not proud of. And I'm glad that my God says, I'm the God of Jacob. I'm the God of you, Justin. Before you had that wrestling match with me, before I transformed your life, I'm the God of the failures, not just the successes. I'm the God of of the not just the victories, but the, the, the defeats. I'm the God of your struggle. And it's this, God, as we step into a moment of prayer that I'm asking you to pursue, that I'm asking you to say, God, I'm reaffirming my faith in you. God, I'm coming to you because I believe you can change me. God, I'm coming to you because I'm tired of pretending and living in anxiety. God, I'm tired of trying to become the person that you desire me to be all along when by faith I can finally become it. And may this be a moment that you can do that. So will you pray with me? And then I'll leave you in a posture of prayer individually. You can move as you'd like. The worship teams are going to lead us. And meet this God. Meet the God who can transform you. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, King of kings, Lord of lords, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, we believe by faith we can be changed, every part of us, God, our very identity, our very name, the trajectory of our life, God, we believe by faith that you can change every area of our life, and God, in this moment, I pray that you do that, God, for my brothers and sisters, and myself right here, God, I pray that you'd hear our cry, you know, Lord, I'm thankful that you're relentless, that you won't relent until you have every part of our life. And so God, I pray today that today would be a great day of rejoicing and celebration as some who have been running from you, doing life their own way. Step into relationship and by faith in you, Jesus. And God, may this be a day where great freedom takes place. God, where the masks come off and we stop pretending. So God, right now, Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to speak. I'm asking you to show us the areas in our lives that you are asking and desiring to change. So meet with us now, we pray.